Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. Buzz Eisenberg is engaged with other professional obligations. Today, we start with Josh Silver, political gold with Josh Silver. There were important national elections on Tuesday. There was a Republican debate of sorts last night. Josh Silver, thank you so much for being with us. What do you make of the results nationally on Tuesday? And in particular, I'd like to focus your attention at least on the headline and what it imparts. Headline in the New York Times today, elections buoy Biden. I like the alliteration. Elections buoy Biden for now, but 24 looms. What did Tuesday portend for the 2024 elections? Well, hi, guys. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. And, and, and I just wanted to say, if Marcin Buzz's wife is listening when Bill Newman says engaged. He's talking about other activities, not like another woman. I just want to be really clear. Just need to be clear. Uh, with friends like you, Josh, how could anything go wrong? That bomb. That bomb. Okay, so here's the thing. Everybody, everybody take a deep, take a deep breath, guys. It's like anybody who's a real politico knows polls 12 months before any election really don't matter. Sure, they're super alarming because Trump is psychotic, but you, everybody has to take a deep breath. If you're listening, breathe. It's like Barack Obama was way down this, this far before his, his huge reelection. Uh, a, a long list of presidents have been in the same boat 12 months out. So you, you really can't read too much into it. But what you can read into it is the fact that Joe Biden is deeply unpopular. The, he scores terribly on the economy. 70% of voters say he's too old. Interestingly, I don't know if you saw this subtext to the New York Times poll, but uh, at, at this time, four years ago, 30% of voters said that Joe Biden was too old. Now it's 70%. Um, currently, D Donald Trump is four years younger than than Joe Biden, and 30 percent of voters say that Donald Trump is too old. So it's entirely likely possible that Donald Trump is going to see the same kind of numbers go up from 30 to 70 over the next four years, just like Joe Biden. Just an interesting footnote. But the bottom line is don't get too nervous here. Well, does Tuesday give Democrats hope? at least in so far. Did we just lose? <laughs> yes, we did. We um, did. He, he was clearly talking about the presidential uh, polls, I guess that came out at CNN and, um, Oh yeah. I think he was talking about the polls that obviously say show that Trump is ahead in five of the six swing States. Am I right about that? Um, Bill, in five of the six yeah, and, that's right. and, and the big one, of course, is the New York the New York Times, right, guys? I mean, that is the one that everyone's talking about. Then, then, then you have the midterm because let's just set the table. A lot has happened. The New York Times came out with a huge, terrifying poll. Then we see the results from this week. I'm just trying to layer here, and the fact is, what we're seeing is a steady trend of issues like abortion guns, climate, the majority of Americans are actually with Democrats. And what we're seeing is the Republicans are deeply out of touch with the majority of the American public. 
and the results coming out of Virginia, out of Ohio, that were generally very favorable for Democrats, are showing this, they're sort of underscoring how deeply unpopular the Republican Party kind of core issues are with the American public writ large. Remember, Ohio is a deeply Republican state at this point. Not deeply, but it's it's quite Republican. And that what we're seeing in the New York Times polls and the things that are terrifying us about the ascendance of Donald Trump is much more about Biden's unpopularity than it is about than it is about sort of the Republican strength writ large, which doesn't seem to exist. But so, Josh, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but it gives me pause when Biden is down 11 in Nevada, a very diverse state out west. Right. He's also down in Georgia and Arizona to Donald Trump, who's facing 91 indictments. Is that right, Bill? Go ahead. I'm sorry, Bill. Go no, ahead. Josh, talk to us. Well, what's what's the unifying trait in those states? There's a lot of black and brown voters in those states. So what's happened is Biden is deeply unpopular with blacks and Latinos. Uh, Latinos are almost half, 50% of them are for Trump right now. So these are these are all, you said Nevada, Georgia, these are all states that swing and there are large centers of diverse populations, be it black or Latino. And that's the problem. But what you are going to see is that as the election approaches, and we're still a long way out, I can't say that enough times, as the election approaches, the Democrats are going to be hammering the Republicans on these big issues of abortion, guns, climate, where the Republicans, because of the broken nature of our elections, the fact that they have to swing so far to the right to get the Republican nomination in Republican primary elections, that then as the Republicans inevitably try to swing to the middle with the exception of Trump, of course, who's just his own animal, the Democrats are just gonna hammer them on these issues in which the Republicans take consistently take positions that are deeply unpopular with the majority of Americans. Okay, okay. so a, there is hope. a quick follow up here. I, I hear what you're saying about guns and climate change. But you know what? I think the economy supersedes that. And when Donald Trump is up 22 percent over Joe Biden, that's the reason why I'm concerned. And one last one. Also, Donald Trump is doing 48 percent to 47 percent uh, to Joe Biden with people under under 30 or 35, I forget which one. Donald Trump is ahead of Joe Biden with people under 35. That, yeah, that's, well, that's, that that's, tell, is, is that's terrifying to me. But go ahead. I'm sorry, Bill. Okay. I, so first you. of all, Dan, listen, you got it. You've got to breathe because you were too far away from the election for to you to get that. too worked up about this. And just just so people know, Dan has been prone to send emails being like. To me, showing me polls, I mean, what the heck is going on? He actually uses stronger language than that. <laughs> so, 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 so it's just, it's too far out. You can't read too much into it. But bottom line, the young number is being driven to a, a, a significant degree in the last month by Israel. And the fact that young people are, are very, very incited about and, and upset about what's going on in Gaza and hey, we can talk about it. I mean, the fact is they should be upset. Like Israel should not, in my view, I'm Jewish. They should not be just carpet bombing and killing thousands and thousands and thousands of children. It's wrong. And 
But on the other hand, you can't be blindly in favor of one side or the other, because as is always the case, the truth lives somewhere in the middle. And it feels like in this polarized country, thanks especially to social media, there's no room for nuance. There's no room for acknowledging that what Hamas did was horrific and required some sort of retribution. And what the Israelis are doing in Gaza right now is horrific and needs to stop. But if you say that, you get in trouble and the young people are generally with the Palestinians. I'm going to leave that generalization for a moment and ask you to go back to some specifics and in particular Dan's point, uh, Dan Torres's point. And Josh, it's this. In Virginia on Tuesday, the Democrats won the legislature, a surprise to many people. In Ohio, the constitutional right to end, a constitutional right to abortion was enshrined by a large majority. The Republicans were adamantly opposed to freedom of choice in uh, Ohio. They put millions and millions of dollars into the races in Virginia, and they lost because those local issues predominated. That said, Dan Torres's point is what people do on election day is they vote their pocketbooks, their wallets, and what they think of the economy. And although in reality, Biden has done well on the economy, the overwhelming majority of Americans say he's done badly. It's incomprehensible in a lot of ways, but that's how people feel. And that's when it's going to drive their votes. So the paranoia goes. Talk me down from this ledge. I mean, it's a tough one to talk you down from because the, the, the fact is, Bill, and I, you know this, both parties are to varying degrees responsible for the evisceration of the American middle class. And that has been a process that's been going on for decades and decades, for generations, where you see the income the, that wealth is consolidating in the hands of a smaller and smaller number of billionaires and, and centimillionaires and with the blessing of both parties until recently. It's only been relatively recently that the top leaders of the Democratic Party have really pushed for any kind of progressive taxation. This is not an old thing. This is a new thing. And so if you look at who's to blame historically, both parties to are to blame, the Republicans more so than the Democrats. So what you're seeing is a reflection of a working class, a middle for jobs. And this is a trend that transcends the Trump or Biden administration. This has been growing and building for decades. And then what we see is humans are reptilian. Republicans are much better at saying, okay, we're going to screw you with our economic policies, but we're going to give you a tax break, even though we're going to increase the, the national deficit to trillions of dollars. Doesn't matter. We'll be, we'll leave that to the next generation, but we're going to give you some short term. It's almost like a hit of heroin. We'll give you a tax return check or something, make you think superficially we're good guys and the Democrats are bad guys. That's sort of the dynamics. It's like the it's like the what's the matter with Kansas dynamic. It's like Republicans really undermining the middle class while convincing the, the, the voters that Democrats are bad using wedge issues and little petty tactics like tax return checks like we saw Bush and Trump do. So that's the bigger picture. And the bottom line is the cost of gas 
is going to have much more to do with how people think about about uh, Donald, uh, Joe Biden in the 24 election than just about anything else. So if gas prices are five bucks a gallon in November, it's going to be really hard for Biden to win. Um, but I, I would disagree with liberals who say Biden's been amazing for the economy. He's been good in comparison to Republicans, but the middle class and the working class are still struggling and they're not getting that much relief. And Biden's being out on the picket line for the UAW didn't seem to help very much. Well, look, you know, he also is very, very polar. I mean, come on, he was doing in a state where those unions are very strong still, and there's very few states where they are still strong. So that was a very calculated and I think probably wise political strategic calculus. But I mean, you know, this is a this is a very complex issue with deep roots. And I think you're right. I think if the if 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 consumer prices continue, continue to go up, gas prices continue to go up and Biden cannot convince those those mushy kind of moderate middle voters that the economy is actually better than it was, then he's going to continue to have real problems. I think that I think the, the 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 silver bullet here is Donald Trump's court cases and whether or not he gets actually convicted. Because another important piece of this is poll after poll shows that if he becomes a convicted felon, there is a large number of voters within his base right now, people who say they'll vote for him, who are going to peel away. It's under 10, but it's enough to flip it and make it so that Biden wins relatively easily. I would predict that if he's convicted, uh, that I think Biden is going to have a much, much easier time winning re-election than if he's not. We leave it there. We've been speaking with Josh Silver. This has been Political Gold with Josh Silver. Thanks so much, Josh. Really appreciate your time today. You bet. Worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races, going nowhere, going nowhere. The tears are filling up their you're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate. On the one hand, I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. 
The Co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready-to-go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The Co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are going to take a break from, well, the travails of the world. And we're going to look at a small part of the world that people, how to put this, really, really care about, which is the National Football League and in particular here, the New England Patriots. With us to help me understand and help us understand the travails of the New England Patriots, and more specifically, Bill Belichick, the coach, is Scott Cohen, sportsman. Scott Cohen, of course, well-known to our listeners as a sports commentator, newscaster on radio, television, and in print as well. Here's what I don't understand, Scott Cohen. Bill Belichick was a hero. He was fabulous. He was the best. He was terrific. He's amazing. We are It's so in his debt for bringing us so much joy to Boston in particular and New England generally. And now Bill Belichick is somehow an incompetent coach, according to the media. Help me understand this, please. Well, he doesn't do himself any favors, Bill. Well, he's uh, the most curmudgeonly guy in the universe. A, cur- a complete, uh, complete curmudgeon, almost, almost to the point of being, uh, you know, disrespectful to uh, the uh, the media people that cover him. And you know, I've always been since this is what I do, what we do. If Bill Belichick, by talking to, and I'm just going to say me, Bill Belichick talking to me is Bill Belichick talking to the fan base because we deliver the message to them. We're the conduit. And by not talking to me, us, he's not talking to you, them. And so, and I mean, listen, that's just been his MO. And if you win and all things are, are, are right in the world, of New England football, you can get away with being like that. But all of a sudden, when it doesn't, people remember what a jerk you were all these years, and they're <laughs> like, okay, um, you know, but I guess the bottom line is it's just a case of what have you done for me lately? Is the problem Mac Jones, the quarterback? No, the, the problem is everything. Um, you know, Belichick is the head coach and general manager. Remember the um, – remember the uh, – there was a great quote by uh, Bill Parcells where they would not let him be the general manager. They just were going to let him be the coach. Former coach of the New York Giants. Former coach of the New York Super Bowl champion, one of the most famous football coaches of all time. And he, people were being uh, critical of him, and they were talking about uh, uh, draft day. And his famous quote was, if they expect you to cook the meal – at least they should let you shop for the groceries. And so in Bill Belichick's case, meaning pick the players, make trades, this, that, 
Bill Belichick has that power, has been doing it, and quite frankly, he's done a terrible job of it. And he, and he always had Tom Brady to pick up the pieces and keep the ship afloat, even in you know dangerous waters. Well, he doesn't have Brady anymore. He's done a terrible job of drafting and, and uh, trading for players. Uh, and, it's, and he just doesn't have a very good team anymore. And we see it every Sunday. And he really is, in your judgment, to blame because he, in fact, is responsible for the players on the team as well as for coaching the team on Sunday. I think, I think my biggest issue um, with Bill Belichick is, and listen, you know, they call fans fans because it's short for fanatic, fanatics. <laughs> and they are, they're fanatics. And, the, you know, people live and die with this stuff. And, and when things don't go well, and people love to complain, that's just, you know, that's just our nature uh, as human beings to begin with. But, but my, I think my biggest issue with Bill Belichick is that I think the game in many ways, and when I say the game, I mean the players, I think the modern-day player has passed him by. I think he's too old school. Um, he, he's a drill sergeant. You know, uh, I don't think he relates to, to the... He, he treats the player of 2023 like he treated the player of uh, 1993. And it's a completely different world. The kids are different now than they were then. And as things change, it's incumbent upon you to change with it. Is this fair to Belichick in the sense that, as I understand it, and I don't know position by position of the New England Patriots, that the team has suffered a lot of serious injuries, and that's not really Belichick's fault. And the, the injuries are one thing, but he did, they didn't have top-flight talent to begin with. I mean, you know, it's like if you want to, if you want to look at, at Bill Belichick had Tom Brady, who had Randy Moss to catch the footballs for him. He had Randy Moss and Rob Gronkowski on the field at the same time. And Gronkowski showed up in times to save the Patriots. Oh, my gosh. If you just go back, go on YouTube and look up Rob, Rob Gronkowski highlights. It's like, the, he, I mean, he's a first ballot, no waiting list Hall of Famer. And there's, there's, those guys aren't on the, on the they're not going to be on the field uh, in Germany on, on Sunday. They're, they're just, they're, not, they're non-existent. And don't forget Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman. And uh, who's that other uh, uh, slot receiver they had? Can't remember his name right off the not top Amandola, of my head. Not Amendola. But anyway, Am Amendola. And he, those players are not on this right, team. Right, because you can have a really talented quarterback. Leave aside for a moment whether or not the Patriots have a really talented quarterback or not at this he's, point. He's but very got, serviceable. But no, you got to have receivers. You gotta and have, you got to have a line that will protect you, you because without those you have things— to have, You have to have all that. And you, ha and you have to have a coaching staff that—again, I, I, I think— Bill Belichick's biggest issue and reason for lack of success is because he has not changed with the times. He also hasn't had a great quarterback for the last four years. I mean, that's well, that's all well and good, but like I said, you know, you make you make you make you draft properly, you make good trades, you have a good offensive coordinator, you relate to your players better. 
They're, they don't have any of that right now. And it's, like I said, it's right there in, in living color every weekend. If I may agree with Scott here about this younger generation of players connecting maybe to younger coaches, you've begun to see that in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins, young coach, right? LA yes. Rams, they have another young coach. A lot of young coaches are now taking over. I'm talking about guys in their early 40s yes. and uh, late they 30s. They look like kids. look like kids around these men, but they're leading. They're the head coaches, and they've been developing this talent. They've been in teams for maybe five or 10 years, gotten yep. their legs underneath, and now they're becoming head coaches. And it's sort of displacing maybe somebody like Bill Belichick, who has the old school, like you were talking about. So there was, a, there was a, a very famous field hockey coach, um, women's girls high school coach here in our area. Her name was Vi Goodenow. Um, she was up at Frontier. And, and Vi was, she was the Bill Belichick of her, of her uh, generation. And I, I did a series on coaches in the area uh, way back when, and I wanted to talk to her because she's this larger-than-life character. And she said it to me. She says, as times change, you must change with them. And if you don't change, you get left behind. And I and that, in a nutshell, to me, is what Bill Belichick's issue is. And if I can give praise to somebody, the Kansas City Chiefs coach, Andy Reid, he has changed with the times. He has, he has a young coach. Yeah. He has a young quarterback, I mean, in Mahomes. He had, when he was the coach of the Eagles, he had McNabb, and uh, he won uh, also Wentz, Carson Wentz. So he's been able, even though he might not be as genius as Bill Belichick, He's able now to coach a younger quarterback and still keep them competitive at the top of the league, and he was able mm -hmm. to kind of maneuver that. I mean, I give him a lot of credit, of too. Course. He's, he's in that league with Bill Belichick. If, uh, I, you know, I don't know what the numbers are right off the top of my head, but I remember reading this a couple because, you know, this has been the big – that's why you're asking me about it. Exactly. It's been the big story, you know, for the past uh, month and a half. Um, Bill Belichick's record as a head coach with Tom Brady – and Bill Belichick's record as a head coach without him. It's stark in comparison. Last question for you, Scott Cohen. Is Bill Belichick going to be fired? Um, it Well, he will be fired. They won't call it that. I have a feel. I think that at, at the end of the season, they'll have a, they'll have a very ceremonious um, parting of the ways, and everybody will go home happy. And will Belichick be rehired as a coach get, in the NFL? Yep, yep. I don't think he's. I don't think he's done uh, yet. I do. Yep. I, I actually just want to add. I don't think he's leaving. I oh. actually think he's going to. There's could, likelihood he's going to continue to stay, and he'll be. give another year. And they'll try to put the blame on. Nope. Lots of like you said, injuries. Maybe it's a little bit of Mac. We need to get him a new quarterback. I see them drafting some some young quarterbacks in this. They, they might get a high pick given their record. Uh -huh. um, they might look at like two or three quarterbacks who young and maybe give Belichick another chance. They'll try to get some wide receivers. Maybe spend some money. They'll try to. You oh. know, that's not their that, that's not their strategy to spend a lot of money. But they'll they'll figure something out for him. Belichick got rid of Bledsoe, who was a good quarterback, and went with Brady. And that changed the changed entire everything. history of the New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. Bob Kraft, is he going to get rid of Belichick because he wants to make sure those seats are filled? You know, I just, I, again, I, I, you know, when, um, in, you know, we're, we're talking sports and, you know, you say, I mean, even just the little edge you had in your voice, is he going to get rid of them? Well, yeah, I think that's, you know, it's, I think it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a business, everything Everything changes, Bill. Times change, people change, situations change. They'll they'll kiss and, and make up and he'll be he'll go someplace else. 
We've been speaking with sportsman Scott Cohen. Thanks so much, Scott. You bet. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. City Councilor Virginia DeSorker won every precinct in Greenfield's mayoral election yesterday. With 74% of the vote, she ousted incumbent Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner, who had served for one four-year term. I've been thinking about the next steps. There's a couple of places to, to clean up, and I'll be making those announcements in a little bit. During her campaign, DeSorger says she knocked on more than 2,000 doors in Greenfield to get a sense of the issues people care about. DeSorger will be sworn in as mayor in January. UMass Amherst will be hosting oral arguments for the Massachusetts Appeals Court on Monday. The Appeals Court decides in over 1,000 cases each year, with three justices hearing oral arguments and presiding as a panel. And the sessions are open to the public in an effort to broaden awareness and understanding of the court system. At this sitting, Associate Justices William J. Meade, Sabita Singh, and Paul Hart Smith will be hearing arguments on three criminal and three civil cases. Additional resources are on the way for the state's emergency shelter system for families and pregnant women amidst an overwhelming surge in demand. On Wednesday, the House passed a $2.7 billion spending bill that includes $250 million additional dollars for the state's overburdened emergency shelter system. The House passed the bill on the condition that $50 million be used to establish overflow shelters to meet the excessive demand. Legislators in the State House shot down an amendment to the bill that would have limited the guarantee of shelter only to people who have been living in this state for over a year. Scattered icy mix this morning will give way to plain rain showers by mid to late morning, and then we dry out in the afternoon, a high of 44 to 48. Variable clouds tonight, overnight low 32 to 38. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, a high of 50 to 54. We're bright and dry over the weekend. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. If you love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop. Let's experience fitness together. Hi, this is Jessica. And at Fitness Together, we offer personal trainers and customized workouts either in studio or virtually. Located in Northampton and Amherst, we're here to help you reach your goals, be it weight loss, recovery and rehab, improving health, or simply living well. Getting fit, you'll have the energy to do what you love. Visit us at Fitness Together, Amherst or Northampton and become a part of our community today. Fitness Together, your journey to wellness starts with us. Young at Heart dons their dance shoes on November 19th at 3 p.m. as they shake a tail feather with some very special guests in the show, Twist and Crawl. The Academy of Music in Northampton will be bumping and jumping with diverse dance styles. Tap, hip-hop, modern, Irish step, cumbia, salsa, and more. Featuring songs by Tito Puente, The Slits, The Band, Macy Gray, Rihanna, and so many more. Young at Heart and Twist and Crawl, Sunday, November 19th at 3 p.m. at the Academy of Music in downtown Northampton.
you're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, Council to Corral Hate Speech at Meetings Special Session Thursday after last meeting Zoom bombed with racist anti-Semitic comments. This by staff writer Alexander McDougall. The city council will convene a special meeting Thursday to discuss steps to address its rules regarding public comment after last week's meeting was disrupted by numerous racist and anti-Semitic remarks made over Zoom. The vile nature of the comments reached such an extent that council members had to take a 10-minute break to recuperate from what they were listening to before the public comment session was ultimately suspended by Council President Jim Nash. Quote, It was evident that it was organized, Nash said in an interview. We had Zoom bombings in the past, but they were more juvenile and disruptive within the meeting. The queuing up of adults at public comment was something else. End quote. We have with us Council President Jim Nash. Tell us what you expect to come out. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Thank you. I want to say that this – I want to start by saying that this meeting – is uh, not to corral the the hate speech, that it is to protect our speech. Um, uh, the um, we want to we want to be able to still engage the, the public in Northampton that they can come to uh, city council and other public meetings and uh, take advantage of public comment in a way um, that we are used to doing this. Um, so. We are bound by Mass General Law. We're bound by the city charter. We're bound by council rules around how we can allow public comment. And we are going to be reviewing those, um, those laws today at the start of the meeting. And, um, and, and also, I think it'll be a chance for councilors to debrief. It's been a week. I mean, I, I, I can tell you, last Friday when I was on the air with you guys, I was day my, after the meeting. Day after the meeting, I was just like, "How do we shut this down?" And but the thing is that um, you know, after a lot of reflection, and I, I've been working on this since about seven thirty last week, where it's been on my mind as to how do we handle this, and that um, that protecting everybody's right to speak is ultimately what we what we have in mind. Yeah, one thing that occurred to me when I was reading the Gazette today, and I have been thinking about this since I learned about it from you on our show last week, the morning after the meeting, is maybe this is a one-off. Maybe the council actually needs to see if people try to do it again um, because it's really, really complicated to try to write anything. And maybe the council should say, let's see what happens. And if nothing happens, we'll... Uh, chalk it up to experience and move on because we've had robust, fruitful, helpful, useful public comment in Northampton at city council meetings for decades. And this is the exception, not the rule. Well, that is one of our choices to consider later today is doing nothing. I mean, that it could be, it could amount to that, um, that we simply just apply our rules in a more effective way. And I also think that the nature of the speech last week, uh, I, it took me by surprise. And the thing is, I, I, if it were to happen again next week with the same rules, I, you know what, I, I, I think we would all have a better sense of like, oh, this is what it is, and we can get through this. We've been down this road once or twice before. We know what to do. Yeah, and so that will be one of the options today. And and I, I want to say that um, uh, that 
my personal view is we want to take the least restrictive measures possible. And that, um, so it, yes, protecting, you know, the, the people in our community from hate speech, we, we would like to do that. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it's important that everybody have access to uh, public comment. I also think, and this, uh, and let me make clear, I'm not speaking for any organization or any other person other than myself at this moment. I think, and I know this is not going to be popular, that actually this community being aware that there is hatred out there that wants to target us was actually a very useful lesson in some ways. All right. Well, explain that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I want to hear this uh, regularly at a city council meeting or anywhere, but we live in a bubble sometimes. Oh, this hatred that's percolating around the country, it doesn't affect us. It's not here. It's not present. Well, I, we don't know where these people live or where they came from, but certainly they wanted to target us. And that, I think, is a lesson in and of itself. I think that is a wake-up call that was useful. I don't want to hear this all stuff all the time either, but I do think that that, that phenomenon in our community, mm -hmm. in that public forum, taught us a lesson. Well, you know, I'll say this, and in, in this is um, in support of uh, Chief Casper and the work she's been doing over the years, that um, when we are having events, when there's big protests, when we're having parades, when we're having... Uh, political events that um, that there's been a lot of criticism lev leveled at the NPD as, as to why are you there? Why are you watching us? Well, a big part of that is that as we make these statements, those statements are going out to the greater world, and there's people who don't like our, our views on things. And so that is a big part of what uh, the NPD is doing when they're, when they're present at public events. Okay. Jim Nash, city council president. This from today's Gazette. Nash said there was no guarantee the council would be able to implement any new rules as a result of Thursday's today's yep. meeting, but that the council was certainly determined to give it a try while still respecting the public's right to free expression. And I would like to know from you, and I just take parenthetically, I know there will be no public public comment allowed at this particular city council meeting, yes. which I because oh, the world just runs on irony. Um, <laughs> your thoughts of where this comes out? Is this a one time meeting or is this something that's going to be a continued discussion? What do you expect the process to be? So today is going to be a meeting to review what happened last week, to review the laws governing public comment and for council to think about are there any things we might want to start undertaking? I mean, there's things, we, this council has three more meetings. We could consider implementing something experimental um, over the next three meetings that would inform the, the future council as to how to do things. And I, I also want to underline, Bill, we do not want to do anything rash. Yeah, and I note this as my final suggestion. Don't experiment with freedom of speech. Well, and, and Bill, the other thing that I, that's become spectacularly clear to me through all of this is that public comment is something that it, it almost exists outside of our, our business meeting, that it, it's basically opening the, 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 the council to 
anybody speaking on the front steps of City Hall. If you want to stand there, and you, you can stand there and say whatever you want, and it's protected speech, and that public comment is opening that door. It's, it's not like a, any of the other matters uh, that council considers. If it's a public hearing and you're off topic and we're talking about zoning and you want to talk about whatever, you're off topic. I have the authority to throw you out of the meeting. But when it comes to public comment, that's Public comment speech. that is open to all comers on all topics all the time. That's, that is the present rule. That is the present rule. We leave it there. City Council President Jim Nash, thanks so much, so much for coming in today. Really appreciate your time and attention to this. Well, I, I appreciate the, the feedback, Bill and Dan. Have a More great day. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka. Celebrate the Valley's proud Polish heritage with Polka Carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning Polka Carousel to the airwaves of the Valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled thoughtful memorial care. It's Polka Carousel, WHMP. Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, just call. Or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy, or Kelly, or Mindy, or Valerie, or Lori. We tried the call center, you tried the call center, and we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586 1000. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. And this is our Have Faith segment with Rabbi Ricky Kozowski as our spiritual leader today. Ricky Kozowski is the rabbi at Beta Hava in Florence. Rabbi, we had a really interesting, I think an important discussion with you last month about the Hamas-Israel war. And I have raised with you, I raised with you and have raised with others since then, Why? And I'm not asking you to speak for this government of Israel, and I'm not asking you to speak for all Jewish people, but I know you have deep feelings about both uh, how Jews are under attack in the United States, given the recent uh, intensity of 
anti-Semitism and your opposition to the Islamophobia as well. I am struck by the article on the front page of today's published yesterday online, the New York Times, Hamas goal for October 7th, a permanent state of war. Groups leaders say carnage was needed to restore focus on Palestinians. Let me read one sentence or two. Since the shocking Hamas attack on October 7th, in which Israel says about 1,400 people were killed, 1,400 people were killed, most of them civilians, and more than 240 others dragged back to Gaza as captives. The group's leaders have praised the operation, with some hoping will set off a sustained conflict that ends any pretense of coexistence among Israel, Gaza, and the countries around them. Quote, this from an, a leader of Hamas, I hope the state of war with Israel will become permanent on all the borders. What's your response to that, Rabbi? Well, wow. So that's, it's very difficult to hear that. Um, that um, That's in the Hamas charter. That's been in the Hamas charter. Um, this, I don't, I mean, to me, it's, it's not, it's not, um, it's not surprising or news. I think that's sort of been an, uh, an understood piece of that for, I mean, I, I can't, again, I can't speak for the entire Jewish community and I'm not speaking for Israel, although uh, many people think every Jewish person can speak for every other Jewish person or for Israel. But, um, but that, you know, that is, that is literally what we're dealing with. So when, when I talk to my Israeli friends, even my leftist Israeli friends, um, I should say in particular, because I mostly only have leftist Israeli friends, um, who, um, who it's not that they're unsympathetic to the enormous amount of people who've been killed in Gaza since October 7th, um, you know, since the Hamas war started, but um, their perspective is that this this is literally what we're dealing with, and Israel is literally in a state right now of um, defending defending its very exist existence and trying to literally root out this like horrifically terrorist organization that just pulled off a, a massacre of, of that was un unprecedented proportions, literally perhaps since the Holocaust and. Um, the brutality and, you know, the planning, all of it. I don't need to go into all of the details, although I'm always happy to because not everybody understands what the details were. Um, but but it, this, is an, this is a known entity. And uh, I think there was a pretense in Israel the last two years. They could have a fence. You know, there was quiet. You know, Hamas was focusing on helping people within Gaza, et cetera. But, but you know, that was a, that was a complete sham. And, um, you know, and, and Israel is in a state also of, just utter despair and utter destruction. There's, I mean, it's not of the same uh, physical proportion, let's say, compared with the images that we're seeing in, you know, in the news of what it looks like in Gaza. But, um, but there are many, certainly, the communities along the border that Hamas burnt and raised and just, you know, completely ravaged. And there's some 200,000 people in in Israel also who are completely displaced, um, you know, and, and staying in temporary places all over the country. Rabbi, um, Rabbi, it's Ricky, very scary. Yeah. Rabbi Rick, I'd like to ask you this. Uh, the charter of Hamas to which you allude and the stated mm -hmm. position of Hamas is to eradicate the state of Israel and to uh, eradicate all the Jews in Israel. That's Hamas's position. And mm -hmm. I, I, I do understand what you're saying about uh, Israelis, many Israelis, even progressive and lefty and uh, Israelis mm -hmm. saying this is an existential crisis for them. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the destruction that is happening in Gaza, it seems to me, 
with the stated purpose from the government of Israel, which is to er eradicate Hamas's leadership, uh, mm -hmm. is apt to engender such hatred of Israel that it may well lead to an entire new generation of Hamas leadership. What do you say about mm -hmm. that conundrum? Well, you know, I mean, that that is some common sense there. You know, that's like the worry. And um, but I don't I and I'm not I'm not in favor of bombing Gaza. That's not what I'm I'm at all saying. But um, even for the, you know, any destruction, any killing of innocent lives, children, babies, humans is just horrific. Um, that happens um, in the result of this. But and, you know, and that might happen. There was a. Um, there are a lot of political analysis that talk about like when when a government rightfully defends itself or tries to root out uh, the the um, the enemy that is literally trying stating and trying and act actively trying to kill them and kill its people. You know, sometimes that does raise up, an, you know, a new organization or a new level of hatred. So that literally might happen. But, um, you know, but I think not acknowledging the, the level of, of hatred that that we're talking about. Um, and not trying to understand, um, you know, like what what other kinds of alternatives are there right now when so quickly after October 7th, public opinion just, you know, became against Israel, you know, accusing Israel of genocide when literally, you know, a group of, of uh, terrorists, 2000 some terrorists came in and literally enacted it, you know, with a stated goal of genocide brutally not just like a suicide bomber you know you know methodically planned this for months probably years and uh carried out some of the most heinous acts uh that you know of our of our time of our generation um on, on sleeping children and babies and women and elderly and um you know and the stories are still coming out because you know the reports of what uh, the cleanup people the zaka people found and you know, those are, you know, the survival stories of those who've been injured, how they survived. I mean, there's going to be, you know, museums and stories about this for generations, forever. But um, uh, it, it's, there's no winner here. You know, when I first read the news as, as uh, at about one in the morning on that Friday night of, of uh, Shabbat, Simchat Torah, I did check the news that night. A lot of, you know, I shouldn't say there's a rabbi that was checking the news, but I did. And I saw at that moment there were uh, a barrage of missiles that were hitting southern Israel. And I saw that one at that point, the only saw the only reports that a 60 year old woman had been killed. And uh, was sort of before the it must have been like, you know, six in the morning or so in Israel at that point. And even at that moment, I was terrified. I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, my God, not to know I was going to bomb Gaza, you know, to, you know, try to either retaliate or because you can't have a situation where there are just missiles constantly falling on your country without trying to stop it in some way. And, um, you know, and I worried for that situation. And uh, just when I when I saw the number was just one, not even knowing what was about to come. So there's no winner here. There really is no winner here. I, I just really pray that the international community puts, you know, does everything it can to release those hostages. There's still 237, maybe 238 people of the 240 or so hostages. There's been no Red Cross visits of these people. You know, we're, we're seeing these kidnapped posters that some Israeli artists created a whole uh, sort of art installation, but to put posters up just showing the faces of the of the people that were taken hostage to keep that in the public eye. And they're ripped down, even in Northampton. 
There's been one attempt to put them up this week and they were literally ripped, ripped down within an hour. And it's, it's just shocking that, uh, that we're just not all working together to, you know, to save lives and, and help create some protection and, and resources and everything for both peoples. Because there's this idea of from the river to the sea, like, what does that really mean? Does that mean the obliteration of Israel? Because that's what most Jews hear uh, when they hear that. And most, I shouldn't say most Jews, that's what I hear and many in the Jewish community. And that's certainly what a lot of Israelis understand that to mean. But there's two peoples that live there. They both have claims on the land and they're going to have to live together in some way. So um, I just think our, uh, we, we all as as progressive humans need to be supporting all of those uh, ways that they can come to some solution rather than, um, you know, right now blaming Israel for doing this sort of, you know, horrible thing, which is horrible. Um, but, you know, this, there was a ceasefire up until October 7th. Like there was a, you know, a, there was a negotiated ceasefire. This is what a not ceasefire looks like. And it's, it's not a one-sided ceasefire. It has to be, um, you know, it's going to have to be brokered by, I, I don't know who, but some, in, you know, the U.S., others in the internet. And we have it's to leave horrible, it. We have to leave it there. Horrible situation. Rabbi, no Rabbi Ricky, thank you for your time. Are you an educator? Want to be more confident teaching about environmental issues? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst offers hundreds of curriculum units, lesson plans, classroom activities, and professional development workshops for K-12 teachers. Come check us out. The Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit hitchcockcenter.org. I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect. Certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor. They seemed to be at ease. I hung around. Now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. Fire in Gaza to allow for deliveries of aid and the exit of about a dozen hostages, some of them American. A top United Nations aid chief is weighing in. Correspondent Cammy McCormick reports. The U.N.'s Marty Griffith says the fighting must stop to protect civilians in Gaza. It is cessation of fighting. The silencing of the guns for humanitarian purposes. He said allowing the situation to continue would be a travesty. There's been a lot of discussion about the value of pauses, and I'm not one to un un deny the value of pauses, but that is not the same as a ceasefire. Which she says organizations from 70 nations are now demanding. The Biden administration is speaking out about yesterday's airstrike in Syria against an Iranian-linked weapons warehouse. It comes after weeks of attacks that have injured American service members on U.S. bases. The National Security Council's John Kirby tells CBS Mornings. Since our last set of strikes, uh, there have been additional ones, which is why we took uh, another retaliatory strike last night. 
to send a strong message to these proxy groups and to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, the Quds Force, that these are unacceptable. 118 days after they hit picket lines, unionized actors are hailing a tentative contract agreement with studios and streamers. But some might not get back to work for a while. Elaine Lowe writes about the industry. With the holidays coming up, that's typically a dead zone for Hollywood. You know, the agencies shut down. It's hard to wrangle people, to schedule people for production. So we're looking at resuming production potentially in January. New step today that could avert a strike at Las Vegas casinos and resorts tomorrow. The Culinary Workers Union has reached a tentative agreement with MGM, largest employer on the Strip. Yesterday, they settled with Caesars. Still no breakthrough for Wynn employees. Surgeons in New York have performed the very first eye transplant. The recipient, Aaron James, spoke exclusively to CBS's Dr. John LaBouc. Over time, you think you'd be able to open up that eye? The nerves are starting to come up. I'm getting sensation really over here. James, a power grid worker, lost most of his face when he touched a live high-voltage wire. People in Alabama can't burn their leaves this year. Governor Kay Ivey's issued a statewide ban on burns because of drought conditions that have triggered more than 300 wildfires, one of them close to John Tortorici's home near Tuscaloosa. I don't really know how it started, but um, we just have to be off, you know, really aware of, of, of the surroundings right now. S&P up four. This is CBS News. Make the hiring process work for you. With Indeed's end-to-end hiring solution, you can attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. Start at Indeed.com slash credits. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Haven't seen you around the gym for a while. Yeah, I've really fallen off. Since I turned 40, I just don't get the results I used to get. Could be lower testosterone. Lower T. Yeah, I went through it a while back. Once you hit 40, your body has less free testosterone. I got Nugenics Total T, and it's made a huge difference for me. I've seen that ad on TV. Is it for real? Oh, yeah. The patented key ingredient is something called Testafin, which helps boost free and total testosterone levels to help you trim up and stay lean. And it's made a difference for you? Man, I feel like I'm in my 20s again at work, in the gym, and in the bedroom. Are they still giving out complimentary bottles for people to try it for themselves? Yeah, you just need to send them a text. Text LION to 42424 right now for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea, the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. Plus, text now and we'll include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, our most powerful fat incinerator ever to help you get back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text LION to 42424. That's LION to 42424. A Hollywood bigwig is facing serious accusations. For years, Neil Portnow was the face of the Grammy Awards. Thank you to all the artists who performed on the Grammy stage. Now, a woman accuses him of... For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. City Councilor Virginia DeSorker won every precinct in Greenfield's mayoral election yesterday. With 74% of the vote, she ousted incumbent Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner, who had served for one four-year term. I've been thinking about the next steps. There's a couple of places to, to clean up, and I'll be making those announcements in a little bit. During her campaign, DeSorger says she knocked on more than 2,000 doors in Greenfield to get a sense of the issues people care about. DeSorger will be sworn in as mayor in January. UMass Amherst will be hosting oral arguments for the Massachusetts Appeals Court on Monday. The Appeals Court decides in over 1,000 cases each year, with three justices hearing oral arguments and presiding as a panel. And the sessions are open to the public in an effort to broaden awareness and understanding of the court system. At this sitting, Associate Justices William J. Meade, Sabita Singh, and Paul Hart Smith will be hearing arguments on three criminal and three civil cases.
Additional resources are on the way for the state's emergency shelter system for families and pregnant women amidst an overwhelming surge in demand. On Wednesday, the House passed a $2.7 billion spending bill that includes $250 million additional dollars for the state's overburdened emergency shelter system. The House passed the bill on the condition that $50 million be used to establish overflow shelters to meet the excessive demand. Legislators in the state house shot down an amendment to the bill that would have limited the guarantee of shelter only to people who have been living in this state for over a year. Scattered icy mix this morning will give way to plain rain showers by mid to late morning, and then we dry out in the afternoon, a high of 44 to 48. Variable clouds tonight, overnight low 32 to 38. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, a high of 50 to 54. We're bright and dry over the weekend. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. Buzz Eisenberg is otherwise engaged in professional activities today. This is our time with Brian Adams, who is Professor Emeritus of Environmental Science at Greenfield Community College, the author of three novels with environmental themes. And he has with us today a person who can address some of the issues I have been really concerned about that we have addressed to some degree on the show before, and that is what about solar? How big is it in the area? Where should they these the where should solar be sited? Do we want to go more on rooftops? Should uh, forests be cut down sometimes? What about all of these really pressing issues? And you have with us someone who can help us understand. Brian Adams, the microphone is yours. Bill, you just asked questions. That could be about three hours worth of conversation here. So we'll do our best to get it all in. You know, there's so much depressing news out there. It's just really hard to, to, for me to read the news, to watch the news, and not be like, ah, the end of the world. And I read about climate change, and it's like, you know, floods and, and rising sea levels and melting glaciers and rising temperatures and forest fires. And it really makes me want to uh, jump off the, the nearest roof filled with solar panels. Filled with solar panels or not. It's like, ah. So what I want to focus on today is the good news. And the thing with, about climate change is there's great news out there. There's a lot of incredibly wonderful work being done. Uh, internationally, nationally, locally, right here in the Valley. And today we're going to talk with Northeast Solar's Rusty Ingold-Smith about solar because that's one of the bright spots in the, in the, in the climate debate. Remember, we, we, we want our electricity. It does an amazing amount of good work that is out there. It's how we get our electricity is the issue. And in the past, our electricity has come from burning fossil fuels, oil, gas, and coal. And we, we, we burn something to make steam, and we make steam to shoot through a turbine. The turbine spins, and a magnet is rotated around a coil of wire, and that gets electrons all hot and bothered. And that, in a nutshell, is electricity. But when you burn anything, anything, you release carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And you release a lot of other stuff, too. And carbon dioxide is the, you know, the big greenhouse gas. Well, along comes solar, right? Nothing is burned. Nothing is combust combust. In fact, there's no moving parts, and you get electricity. So it's a really a magical kind of thing. So, Rusty, thanks so much for 
being on the show after my little rant here about yeah, thanks about for having solar. me. So talk about what solar is, the solar work that you do, and 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 how does it work? How does it make electricity in a very general, sure, uh, general speaking way. generally, speaking generally, absolutely. So uh, I work in Northeast Solar. I've been there for the last twelve years, uh, and I specialize in helping folks figure out if a project is feasible, if they can put it at their home or uh, on the roof of their commercial business or in a parking lot. Uh, so a lot of what I do is site analysis, design, uh, and then figuring out if a project can uh, come to fruition. So uh, solar in a nutshell is sunlight is hitting a solar panel and exciting electrons, like you said. And those exciting excited electrons are creating electricity, electricity that can be used in a house, in a business, um, and used directly on site to offset an electrical load. Stupid question. Yeah. What if there is no sun or it's the winter time and very little sun? How does it store uh, all the sunlight? Yeah, great question. And storage is probably a bigger question that we could answer later. But uh, even in low light conditions, solar panels can create electricity. Of course, when it's snowing and uh, we get three feet of snow, I don't know if that happens anymore. But when it does happen, yeah, it can prevent the panels from creating electricity. So sun, so sunlight is essential and summer is the best in our low light. We're now in this low light times, a little bit less solar, but still um, I'm cranking and cranking it out there. Um, your thoughts, let's go to, to Bill's uh, question. Your thoughts on large scale solar. A lot of controversy in the area with uh, in uh, Shootsbury of clear cutting land to put up uh, to put up solar, going into agricultural land yeah. and putting up solar. Thoughts on that? Well, actually, I'm a resident of Pelham, so I might be a little bit biased. I live pretty close to Shootsbury where uh, those projects are being developed. Uh, and I understand from both sides uh, the interest in trying to make this project happen or trying to prevent this project from happening. And this project is what? Well, several projects, large scale, um, which would actually be uh, clear cutting some forest and installing megawatts of solar in the area. And and again, your thoughts. Your thoughts. <laughs> I'm Come waffling on here now. intentionally. To tease it out of you. Uh, I think that there's a need for large scale solar in Massachusetts to create electricity and offset uh, electricity needs. Uh, but I think there's a lo longer conversation to find suitable areas that can uh, provide dual use. So not only just clear cutting a forest to put a large solar array, but Finding areas like parking lots or commercial uh, roofs that have large areas of, of roof space. Um, I don't know if the right answer is to go into a forest and clear it out. But there are a lot of other details that we're not even talking about, like where specifically there are high transmission power lines that can carry this electricity. Uh, specific corridors of how it works with the utility company that is providing for this developer to create a solar array in that area. Um, and all of those things can dictate where solar and how large of a system can be interconnected to the grid to provide power. One thing I've noticed in driving uh, around the valley these days is there's a lot more solar on houses. Yeah. I mean, it's really amazing. You go back 10 years and it was like, oh, look, yeah. there's solar there's on There's solar. <laughs> and now it's like, there's solar, there's solar, yeah. there's solar. Yeah. Um, so that's a good thing. You're, you're busy in your business. People are coming to you. Um, people are still excited about it. Is that is that correct? Yeah, people are really excited about solar. You know, I think 
personally, it was something that when I became a homeowner, I knew it was something that I wanted on my own house. Uh, it's exciting because you're doing a lot for yourself. You're saving money on your electricity bills, but you're also creating your own renewably generated electricity right in front of your eyes, essentially. Could you explain where it goes? Let's just say, yeah, let's just question. say I have a solar, solar panels on my roof. Yeah. It produces electricity. Mm-hmm. It's not going to my house, is it? Well, this is a common misconception, and it can be different regionally. So even in Vermont or uh, in some different areas of Western Massachusetts, like Westfield or Holyoke, uh, systems can be set up differently so that how the electricity is generated and then where it specifically goes uh, is dictated by the equipment in the system. So let's just take somebody who lives in Northampton, for example. If they have solar on their house, the electricity is being generated, and it is being interconnected directly into their main electric panel in their house. It is. That is generally the setup. Really? So the electricity. So it is does. I'm sorry. Used, let me just make yeah. sure. It's not going generally into the grid. It's actually going to my house. Yeah. You are generally using it there first, and then if you have extra electricity, uh, that's being fed back through what's called a net meter with the utility company. It would be National Grid here in Northampton. Uh, and they're reading how much electricity or how many kilowatt hours specifically you sent back to them, and that's being distributed through the grid. So most of the electricity that you're generating at your home, if you have a base load of the fridge, lights, whatever's running, it's offsetting that, and you're using that there first. But like I said, even in Westfield or up in Vermont, uh, they can have systems that are tied into the meter or on the other side of the meter so that it is directly feeding the electricity to the utility company. And in that situation, all the electricity that you're creating is going to the utility company, they're distributing it, and then they're giving you a credit for whatever it is you, you send back to them. So let's talk about that. Um, if someone wants to set up a system on their house yeah. and they say they're going to oversize the system, right, and they don't have that much of an electrical demand, yeah. do they make money from the utility if they're producing more electricity over the course of a month or a, even a year than they are, they produce more than they are, are consuming? How, do, how does that work with the utility? Yeah, so that's a great question. In Western Massachusetts, specifically with Eversource and National Grid, which are Ever, the, those are two electric utility. Those companies. are our two big ones. Yep, that service Northampton, Hadley, Amherst, Williamsburg, the big areas. Uh, there's actually a, a rule that's written, or it's a, called a tariff, um, with net metering. And net metering is if you have a renewable source of electricity at your home and you're feeding it back to the grid you receive a credit, a net metering credit, for all those kilowatt hours that you would be sending back to the electricity co- or the utility company um, or might be pulling from them to use at your own home. So because of that, uh, it's almost like using the utility company as a battery. If you produce more electricity than you're using, then they're storing a credit for you that you can use later in the day or later in the week or later in the month. For me personally, at my own house, uh, we create a negative dollar amount credit on our electric bill in the summer months. And then because of our mini splits and our electrical usage in the wintertime, and because we just don't create a lot of electricity, 
we use that credit that's stored on our electric bill to offset our electric bill in the winter months. We're talking with Rusty and Goldsmith from Northeast Solar about all things solar. So let me get this straight. Um, you don't get money back from the utility. You just get yeah, a, that's you, correct. not just, but you get a you get a credit. Yeah. And if at the end of the year it's you know you you've produced more, well, you just have a little minus on your electric bill, yeah. but you're not getting the money back. How do you decide, Rusty, how many kilowatts to put up on a house? How does that work? A homeowner comes and says, "Oh, I, I want to go solar." Yeah. How does how does that work? Yeah, that's a deeper conversation, and some folks might have goals about what size system they think is right for them, or they need some guidance as far as understanding how their electricity usage might change in the future. Maybe they'll buy an electric vehicle. Maybe they'll add mini splits to their home, change their heating and cooling. I want to talk about mini splits later, but yeah. that's that's <laughs> actually an air conditioning and cooling system that right. relies just on electricity. Yeah. I'm sorry, go on. No, so based on how they use electricity now and in the future, and then what's the available roof space or area for a ground-mounted system, uh, maybe they have a budget in mind that they've got to work with. All those factors combined, uh, we put that all together and we come up with a couple different options and usually go over that and talk about it with them to find the right fit. It, if there is an Achilles heel to solar, it's that upfront cost, Yeah. right? Because there's little maintenance involved. You're not adding fuel and it's not like you're having to you know, buy a gallon of gasoline or a therm of natural gas. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 that that's what homeowners or businesses or farms have to get beyond, right? Right. It's how do you deal with this upfront upfront cost? And I think we'll save that for when we come back from the break. We're talking with Rusty in Goldsmith. He is at Northeast Solar. Has been there for um, a dozen or so years as the business manager and the solar expert there. Um, stick with us, and we'll find out more about solar. This is Science and Sensibility with Brian Adams and, again, our very special guest today, Rusty Ingold-Smith from Northeast Solar. We'll be right back. to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at $80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Franklin County has a vibrant history of farming. At the Franklin County House of Correction, we bring that history to life with education and vocational programs around farming and gardening. Incarcerated men and women learn to work an active organic garden. Best of all, they harvest, they send home to help support and feed their families. This is Sheriff Chris Donnellan, and I can't think of better therapy than farming and feeding your family. That's the history of Franklin County, and we honor it at the Sheriff's Office every day. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone. Two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. 
PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build solar right and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. On Talk the Talk, we continue our Science and Sensibility segment with GCC Professor Emeritus of Environmental Science, Brian Adams, who has with him and us today, Rusty Ingold-Smith, the business manager at Northeast Solar, and we want to know more about solar for ourselves and our community. And we want to be positive about it because again in all of the negative stuff that's going on about climate change here's something that we can do about it but that something requires money yes and that's that's <laughs> what we were talking we were talking about how so you have to get it all up front and then for the rest of the system's life and the panels will go for 25 years probably longer and there's no yeah. moving parts it's nothing to maintain yeah but it's a big hurdle so how do homeowners or businesses or farmers get past that initial upfront cost? And what is the upfront cost on, say, a, I'm putting my quotation marks with my <laughs> hands here, a normal or average size unit? Yeah, normal's changed so much just even in the last few years because folks are using more electricity than ever. Uh, like we were talking about a mini split system or electric vehicles. It just seems like more people are coming to us with higher electricity needs and larger systems. Uh, but yeah, to go back to your question, and I have to say something personally, one of the most difficult things to accept for me personally is that solar caters to folks who have money. And you do have to overcome that hurdle in some way, either getting a loan and financing the project, and I don't mean to be too negative, but there's a lot of folks who would benefit from solar, but because there are no specific incentives that identify those people as they own a home and they need help with their electricity bills, it's it's more likely that someone who has other financial means is going to be able to afford solar. Can I interrupt for one second? Yeah. Are you saying that there are no government programs <laughs> that un, under, underwrite or subsidize solar for homeowners or otherwise? No, I'm, I'm sorry. There are certainly incentives. And so there's the federal tax credit, which is 30% of the installed system cost, comes back to you, the homeowner, in the form of a credit against what you owe on your taxes. As long as you're making enough money to have that taxable income. Right. So you do have to have that taxable liability to use in order to take advantage of that incentive. And then it's only 30% of the cost? 30% of the cost. So there's also a $1,000 state tax credit, same thing. Um, but most of the payback or what drives how solar pays itself back is the high cost of electricity for us in Western Massachusetts. And we're paying incredibly high costs. I mean, people are really suffering out there. Yeah, one of the, the highest the rate rates increase. in in the country. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, we're behind Hawaii and California, but you know, we're up there. So 
uh, this last winter, we had the most interest that we've ever had because folks get their electric bill and they say, what's going on? I'm not using more electricity, but my rate is incredibly high and I'm paying $500, $600 for my electric bill. Like, what's going on? So folks with money can afford the system. And, and again, what does an average system cost? Yeah, so let's say an average, you could say $24,000, $25,000 would be for a turnkey, start to finish, everything's completed uh, system on your roof. So twenty five thousand, you get thirty percent of that back yeah. if you have a taxable income high enough. You get a thousand dollars back from the state as well. And now you're really saving. I mean, you're 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 producing your own electricity, right? And you're going to produce it for ten years, twenty years, twenty five, probably forever, because there's no moving parts, and you just you know you got to take the bird poop off of the <laughs> off of the panels. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's that's it's pretty impressive, but it's getting through that hurdle, which yeah. you know drives all of us all of us uh, crazy. Now, in the past, nonprofits and um, and uh, municipalities couldn't take advantage of this thirty percent tax credit, Correct. because they're nonprofits and they're tax free. Yeah, that's changed, right? It has. So, with the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, when they bumped the federal tax credit back up to thirty percent, they also included language that said. For nonprofits and municipalities who cannot use the tax credit, they, in lieu of that, can receive a rebate of that amount. Uh, the tricky part of this is we have yet to see it in action, specifically with the IRS, and how that will actually work for a nonprofit or a municipality. But it's written down, and it, it there are folks who are moving forward with projects with that in mind, and it's going to take some tax lawyers probably to get in there and, and work on it, but it's pretty exciting. So that's exciting. Rather than pay 10000 for a unit, you're paying 7000 Exactly. Um, and be a able to do that. We don't have that much time left, and I'm dying to ask you a non-solar <laughs> uh, question. Let's Rusty and Goldsmith it. of Northeast Solar, you're not just a solar guy, right? But you're an ultimate Frisbee guy as well. In fact... Guilty. You were named... Not guilty, it's innocent. <laughs> um, you were named the uh, by the... Um, a Univor uh, Ultra World. Mm -hmm. um, you were named Coach of the Year in Division One Men's College Ultimate Frisbee last year, 2023, taking UMass to the finals. Can you talk a little bit about Ultimate and sure. and your role and the prospects for UMass to once again make make it on a national level? Absolutely. Uh, and I've got to give a shout out to my co-coach uh, Dylan Tunnell. Um, yeah. It's very exciting as far as being a part of this team. Uh, UMass Ultimate has been around for a very long time, over 30 years. They've won a national championship back in the 80s. Uh, but most recently, we made finals of the national championship tournament last year, uh, losing to UNC Chapel Hill in a very good game. Uh, but, yeah, what I do is essentially coach a, a group of 27 folks, and uh, they're really intelligent, well-put-together young men who work really hard to uh, be really good at Ultimate Frisbee. With strong legs and catchable hands. Yeah. I have an idea here. Solar panels on Frisbees. I love it. So while they're spinning, they're creating electricity that would make them spin faster or give the advantage? Is that a no? There's something there. There's, There's something. something there, but not <laughs> yeah, but not a lot. Let's be frank. I, for those yet. of our listeners who have never seen an Ultimate Frisbee game, can you describe it in a minute? 
What's, sure. What's the goal, so to speak? Yeah, the easiest way to describe it would say it's a mix between football, American football, and soccer. Uh, but there is a plastic flying disc that is passed between players. Uh, you can't run with the disc. Uh, it's self-refereed. There's a stall of 10 seconds, so every time you have the Frisbee, you hold it, and then you pass the disc uh, within that 10-second limit. And then the goal is to uh, catch the Frisbee in the end zone, uh, to put it simply. Hold on. It is self-refereed. There is n- there's no ref Even in the national games, they are self-refereeing? Yeah. Does that work? It does and it doesn't. Uh, Ultimate is incredibly popular, and it attracts all sorts of new athletes every day, and a lot of them come from sports where it was refereed, and and maybe it's a learning curve, or it's different for them to take on this responsibility. But yeah, a lot of the time it it does work. Uh, it can be difficult, and you have to take it upon yourself to explain what it is you think is happening or your interpretation of the rules sometimes. Uh, but there are also observers in the very important, uh, very tense games. And observers act as a third party to come in and solve a, a conflict or resolve uh, disputed calls. That's so interesting. Is it the only sport that's self-regulated like that? Is there anything else that doesn't have referees or judges or somebody saying, you know, or yes? I can't think of any off the top of my head that are, are similar. Well, that's, that's so interesting. Well, good luck with... UMass and Thank UMass you. men's, and good luck with your own Frisbee playing because you are also an ultimate player as well in, I want to say, the senior leagues or <laughs> something like that. Is that is that uh, overstating it? Uh, no, I want to ask how old you are. I'm not in the senior leagues yet, but okay. I'll get there eventually. So, so Rusty, I, I, I don't want to belabor this, but just so I can visualize it, you said you can't run with the Frisbee, yeah. but you can catch and pass at the same time one right after the other, right? And that's part of the art of this, yes? Correct, yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of skill in throwing and uh, offensive coordination and strategy. And yeah, when the game moves quickly and you have a lot of skilled players on the field, it can be really beautiful. We could talk about Ultimate forever, but we do need to get back to one more solar question uh, before we move on. Uh, Folks want to get in contact with Northeast Solar. Um, What do they do and what's the process to get solar on their roof. Yeah, uh, best first step is to give us a call. Our phone number is 413-247-6045, or you can email our general uh, email address, which is just info at northeast-solar.com. And then whatever your question is or whatever your project is, we can just have a conversation and start there. Lots of good solar installers in the Valley. Absolutely. uh, And Northeast Solar is one of them. Rusty Ingold-Smith from Northeast Solar, thank you so much for sort of making a positive thing, right? Climate change, not all gloom and doom. Positive steps being taken, positive things we can do right here in the Valley, and that's to get solar up, not just on our homes, but on our businesses, in our farms, on our municipalities, on our nonprofits. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Brian. This has been Science and Sensibility with GCC Professor Emeritus of Environmental Studies, Brian Adams, with his very special guest today, Rusty Ingold-Smith from Northeast Solar. We thank you both for your time, your energy, your insight, and your contributions. Really appreciate it, both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Maybe hours you spend watching post-match pontificators amplify the thrill of being a witness and better your predictive This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 
For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. City Councilor Virginia DeSorker won every precinct in Greenfield's mayoral election yesterday. With 74% of the vote, she ousted incumbent Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner, who had served for one four-year term. I've been thinking about the next steps. There's a couple of places to, to clean up, and I'll be making those announcements in a little bit. During her campaign, DeSorger says she knocked on more than 2,000 doors in Greenfield to get a sense of the issues people care about. DeSorger will be sworn in as mayor in January. UMass Amherst will be hosting oral arguments for the Massachusetts Appeals Court on Monday. The Appeals Court decides on over 1,000 cases each year, with three justices hearing oral arguments and presiding as a panel. And the sessions are open to the public in an effort to broaden awareness and understanding of the court system. At this sitting, Associate Justices William J. Meade, Sabita Singh, and Paul Hart Smith will be hearing arguments on three criminal and three civil cases. Additional resources are on the way for the state's emergency shelter system for families and pregnant women amidst an overwhelming surge in demand. On Wednesday, the House passed a $2.7 billion spending bill that includes $250 million additional dollars for the state's overburdened emergency shelter system. The House passed the bill on the condition that $50 million be used to establish overflow shelters to meet the excessive demand. Legislators in the state house shot down an amendment to the bill that would have limited the guarantee of shelter only to people who have been living in this state for over a year. Scattered icy mix this morning will give way to plain rain showers by mid to late morning, and then we dry out in the afternoon, a high of 44 to 48. Variable clouds tonight, overnight low 32 to 38. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, a high of 50 to 54. We're bright and dry over the weekend. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Find local news and local talk for the Valley which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money, which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. If you love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop. Target is among the retailers trying to make Thanksgiving a little more affordable for families. For under $25, consumers can put together a customized Thanksgiving feast for four, one that includes turkey at less than a dollar a pound, and an assortment of sides and desserts for under $5. Who makes the best mattress? J.D. Power's 2023 Mattress Satisfaction Study found Tempur-Pedic, Select Comfort, and Purple produce the most customer satisfaction. Consumer affairs reviewers generally agree, but also like Puffy and Tuft and Needle. Toyota is recalling more than 750,000 2020 to 2023 Highlanders and Highlander hybrids. During normal vehicle operation, minor impact to the front lower bumper cover may result in the cover coming loose or detaching and falling into the roadway. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com.
And this is All That Jazz on Talk the Talk. We are so pleased that we have our host, one of the jazz, one of the movers of jazz here in the Valley, Ruth Griggs. Let me turn the microphone over to Ruth, who has with her and us today a very, very, very special guest. Ruth? Good good day to everybody here today. Um, I just wanted to um, say how excited I am to have a gentleman on the show today who just really epitomizes the the amazingness of musicians in our valley, and that's Joe Belmont. Joe has um, is a professional musician. He is a guitarist. He is a teacher. He is a composer. He is a band leader. He is um, a distinct a overachiever. All... Let's just get down to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But but really really beautiful stuff that he offers to so many people in, in our valley. So, Joe, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you, Ruth. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Yeah. So, you know, Joe, you've been a fixture in, in this valley for, what, 30 years plus? Ouch. Um, yeah, I'd say 40 years, <laughs> literally 40 years. I moved up, I moved up from New York City uh, in the early 80s. And uh, started playing uh, in the local music scene and then traveling around uh, with some different bands and things like that. So it's a real Northampton story, you know. What brought you up here? Yeah. Right. Okay, that's a really good question. Well, my brother, my younger brother was going to UMass at the time. But when I was a kid, I, I was on an AYH bike trip and we rode right through the valley uh, we rode over the notch. We started in Springfield, okay, and we rode over the notch, and we stayed in the valley a bunch of days, and uh, I think they put us up at a commune, is my recollection, in Hadley. We ran into some guys and everything, and I kind of got the idea that there was a lot going on around here. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool story, Joe. I love yeah. that story. Yeah. The, and so you just moved up here the on the basis of that? You. Well, yeah, but since my brother was here, I knew they had the Valley Advocate, you know, and uh, I wanted to get out of New York really badly. You know, I just was my goal in life to to leave, and I had to go somewhere. And I had heard they had a good music scene here. And sure enough, um, I got up here on a Sunday night, and Monday morning the Advocate came out, and, uh, well, a man named John Coster was looking for a lead guitar player for his band, and I had the gig the next day, and oh uh, I was working immediately, you know, so. Um, that is a great story, Joe. And that I felt I feel story. really lucky to have done that because I got to play in so many different bands during the 1980s, and uh, it was different than in New York. So, in other words, I would play, I got to play jazz, con I was in a country band, Huh. Singer-songwriters, uh, rhythm and blues. I was in the Hamptons. Okay. You were? Yes, I was. The Northampton High School a cappella? Oh, no. no, no. Oh, oh, that's different. No, the one, it was her R&B band. Oh, with, okay, uh, okay. Herman Hampton and Jen Morris and stuff like that. But anyway, um, so I, I feel happy I did that. And I'm still here. Well, your, your ability to play... Like every genre known to the world is remarkable, Joe. And that's that's the first thing I think about. You know, Joe Belmont can play anything. And what's really is interesting in looking at your history is you've gone through all of these 
I will call them periods or phases in your music, sort of like a, a, a visual artist will go through different periods in his or her artwork. Um, that seems to be the same with you. Um, you know, as you said, sometimes it's country, sometimes it's classical. I mean, the the um, the amount of, of of amazing classical work that you have on your YouTube channel, as well as as well as jazz and fusion, and of course, lots and lots of blues, is a beautiful thing to to witness. All coming from from one musician. So, um, and I just wanted to say that if 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 um, if you want to listen to Joe's, you know, talent. Uh, if you go to YouTube, you go to Belmont Joe's, just Belmont Joe's on YouTube, and you will see, oh, you know, hundreds of, of videos um, that that give you a feel for what he what he's all about. And and Joe, obviously, an important part of your gift to the valley is your teaching. And and tell us about that. Tell us about you know, your inspiration for teaching, and I know you're at Amherst College and you're at the Northampton Community Music Center. Tell us about teaching. Oh, Ruth, thank you so much. Uh, well, actually, the truth be told, I'm not doing any of that anymore. Um, so oh, I'll, okay. I'll tell you from my point of view. So, you know, I, I in 19, no, 2000, oh, we're in the 2000s, 2020, I booked a tour for my band, and I was I was teaching the name there. of which is what you well at that time it was the Joe Belmont Experience we we cut a CD we had just cut a CD mm-hmm. and we were already playing around the valley but I really had spent a lot of time booking it and and I was teaching at Amherst College I was running a jazz program at the Northampton Community Music School um, and playing a lot of gigs and then COVID came you know in 2020. And all of a sudden, I realized that I wasn't going to be doing any of those things, you know. And uh, so it really changed my life, you know. So what ended up happening was I got really into YouTube. And mm. I started teaching online guitar lessons. And I ended up getting, like, guitar students all over the country and also business coming in from all kinds of places to record this or that or, you know, just all online. And... um so it was sort of a revelation. And so since then, I've left Amherst College, I left the community music school, and uh, I was online a lot. And this was a really, yeah. really new thing for me, okay? But the theme for me is I, I feel like particularly right around now is I'm back because, of course, I'm back to having in-person guitar lessons and uh I've been playing a few gigs, but I'm really planning to start book booking myself again, starting probably next year, I guess. Um, but I really appreciated the freedom of having those few years just to do whatever I wanted to do. And Ruth, you're absolutely right, because, you know, I just literally wake up in the morning and frequently I'll be sleeping and I have an idea for a song in my head. And I and now I can just get up and do it. I don't have to, you know, I'm not on any schedule uh for that matter of fact well yeah yeah i i noticed that on some of your on some of your tunes on youtube and in fact um we we can play now or maybe a little later that's up to dan but i i love the tune groovin blues for a sunday morning a blues in a and and you know you you clearly (laughs) that's exactly what it seemed like you just woke up in the morning and decided to play this blues and it's 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 wonderful um it's it's 
it's it's excellent that you've embraced the ability for your talent and your teaching abilities to to be broadcast beyond the valley. Um, that's and and you know at at this point in your career to embrace that is is not easy. Um, but you you have and that's you know there's some real value to that too. I'd like to ask a question. I'd like to follow up on one. I can't wait for, for uh, uh, Dan uh, Torres to cue this up. But I was just fascinated by what you were just saying about writing music. Do you write a given time during the day? Do you wait to sort of f- feel inspired? H- how do you conjure up a, a song? Right. It's a, gra- it's a great question. To me, it's luck. You know, I'll, I'll tell you that. You know, like, but it... Oddly enough, it's usually the first thing in the morning. And what's so great about my schedule now is that because I'm not going anywhere, I'm really working out of the house, I wake up and if I all of a sudden a song happens, I'll just follow through with it. And but it just happens. Yeah. You just feel it coming on. It's like a cold, except it's a positive kind of thing. You feel that inspiration. It's adrenaline. It's a rush. I mean, you just feel it. It's yeah, it's like a cold, uh, only like more fun, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's funny you're saying that because you were just talking about Paul Simon, weren't you? Simon yes. Yeah, yeah. And I had something to say about what you were saying though, because that that is, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about Paul Simon actually recently because I started a project about a month ago where I have a new YouTube channel, and I'm uh, teaching what I call how to play acoustic guitar, and it's. I've listened to so many uh, people play, and I've really assessed, and I've come to the conclusion Paul Simon was just such a major songwriter. Of course, this doesn't come as a shock to anybody, but I'm really appreciating him now, and uh, I think I'm going to dedicate a bunch of my uh, lessons eventually as we get up in the higher numbers of the guitar method to just looking at some of his stuff because it's great. If you look at Paul Simon's fingers when he's playing one of his songs, which I may have heard other people play with a half a dozen chords, and he'll have 12 or 15 or 20 chord changes where other players might have a half a dozen. He's an extraordinary musician. He, you know, he re- you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it was very thought-provoking for me to kind of really reassess the well, the singer-songwriters and the 1960s and, and everything like that. But um, but anyway, just as an example, yesterday I woke up and uh, I'm, I'm really thinking of booking the band for next year, so I don't know if that was anything, but I came up with a, a the, the song Chimes of Freedom by Bob Dylan, which to me is just so appropriate right now, uh, a lot of what he was saying in that. But I ended up just... I think I woke up with it, I, uh, doing it in a, a Chilean rhythm, you know, like a six, eight, three against two kind of thing. And it works great. And I recorded it and uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, I'll look forward to playing it and uh, playing it. Is that it. on your YouTube channel, Joe? I haven't posted it yet. Okay. But again, but again, if you want to hear some of Joe's music on YouTube, it's Belmont Joe's. Just Belmont Joe's on YouTube, and you'll see just an incredible range of, of music abilities. And Joe, do they, do they do, if if folks are interested in your in guitar lessons um, at all, is it FlorenceGuitarLessons.com still? Is that still active? 
You know, I'm not sure. I think it is. Basically, you can mm-hmm. you can Google me, but I have a website, JoeBelmont.com, and I know there's yep. a, there's a contact form on that. So I'm sure that's an right. easy way to do it. But Ruth, thanks for saying all that. That's great. You know, could we hear some music? Yeah. just about to <laughs> all right uh, oh yeah <laughs> start playing this. there we go We are speaking with Joe Belmont. This is All That Jazz, segment host Ruth Griggs. We're going to listen to more music and speak further with Joe Belmont right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Last summer, Whalen Insurance finally did what a lot of insurance agencies around New England had done long ago. We partnered with a call center to handle routine things like a change of address. It went okay, but we're not going to continue. We found out that, no matter how simple or complicated the matter at hand, you prefer to talk to us. As one longtime Whalen Insurance client told me, the people at the call center are great, but they're not Amy. I like knowing I can call and talk to Amy every time. I guess I should have known. Local people and local service are what sets Whalen Insurance apart from those big 1-800 insurance companies. When you want a quote, when you need help with a claim, or anything else, Just call or come to our office on King Street. Talk to Amy or Kelly or Mindy or Valerie or Lori. We tried the call center. You tried the call center. And we found out that you prefer talking to us. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. Call 586-1000. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op's kitchen is always stirring things up. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Get help with holiday parties and dinners. Let's bake. The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up, flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Breads and brownies, cookies and cake. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op. Wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass.
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we continue all that jazz with our segment hosts, jazz aficionado and talent, Ruth Griggs and Joe Belmont, guitarist extraordinaire. Ruth Griggs, the microphone is yours. Yes, well, we are really having fun learning all about Joe Belmont, which is a a musician who we have known about for many years here in the Pioneer Valley. And what I, again, what I find so fascinating about Joe is he keeps morphing his his music abilities. He keeps morphing um, how he offers his gift of music to, at this point, the world. Um, having been a, a teacher locally, um, you know, based um, here in Northampton and Amherst, but now he is he is doing mostly online lessons right from his home in Florence, which is, you know, thanks to COVID. But talk about embracing it. And, and you continue with that, Joe, which is like, how has that worked for you? How has that worked for your students? Tell us a story about, um, you know, an experience that you've had with a student from who knows where, right, all around the world. Well, it's a great thing. And when COVID started, you know, I I had never taught a guitar lesson online, and and I was very skeptical. I just, you know, I felt it was a in-person kind of personal thing, you know. Uh, but online, the, the lesson can be just as good. Uh, most of my students around here now come into my house now, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, which is fine, you know. Uh, but I've just been doing it for so long. I mean, I I'm 69 years old, you know, and uh, I've probably been teaching for more than 45 years. So if somebody is sitting in front of their computer, I can hear things about what they're doing that that really surprise me even, you know. So the the, the medium doesn't hurt that much, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's really but open. It's, yeah. it's so fascinating. when I When I look at some of the – Students that you've taught, it's it's everything from, you know, an 11-year-old who, who lives locally to, you know, Ryan DeGarry, who's a professional guitarist out of Boston, and, and other pros, you know. And so, like, the, the range of ability that you have to have as a teacher to be able to go from an 11-year-old and then the next student is a professional, um, is that difficult to do? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it took me forever to get good at it. Um, but what you try to do is come up with a concept of where someone is at, what they can do, and what could be next. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, mm-hmm. I've kind of gotten a lot better at that. And I think it's really important because I, I really don't believe in the idea that if somebody is studying an art or they're studying music or something like that, their teacher should just give them some pre-existing program that uh, that they can or cannot do. Um, so, right. it, you know, uh, and the other thing is I've always insisted that I want to hear wh- what my students like, and, and we really want to orient the, the, the lessons around what they like. And I've learned a lot from that. Um, you know, I, it's sort of my window into what's going on in the world, to be honest, you know, because I would have skipped... Mm-hmm. Uh, the '90s and and after in pop music certainly I you know being older you know but I I'm so glad that I got to hear Nirvana and Green Day and I get to hear bands today because uh, I love it I love the fact that people are doing so many things. 
So you're really meeting your students where they are, it sounds like, and you are, you know, in, you know, also building on their strengths, um, which is a, which is a wonderful positive way of of imparting teaching to to a student really on a variety of different levels. But again, that flexibility that reflects the flexibility that you have as a musician to be able to meet them in a classical realm or a singer songwriter realm or a blues realm, etc. So um, we're gonna we're gonna um, close it out with Joe Belmont, um, who we've had the pleasure of having on the show today. If you want to learn more about Joe, go to joebelmont.com. Uh, you want to go to his YouTube channel, Belmont Joe's, um, and really get a feel for what he may be able to offer you in terms of uh, of guitar lessons. And we're gonna take it out with a piece by Chick Corea. Uh, and and Joe's interpretation of Sea Journey um, with his with his band, the Joe Belmont Experience, with Rudy Weeks on bass and Eliezer Martinez on drums. So we're going to take it out with the um, Sea Journey by Chikoria on the Essential Experience Volume One album. Thanks, Joe. for the resistance tom hartman weekdays at noon get informed then get involved i'm tom hartman from the tom hartman program intelligent talk opinion and debate join me every weekday noon to three right here on whmp 1015 and 1400 whmp The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on North.